Welcome. Thanks for joining us. This is Beyond the Illusion. A few episodes ago where we talked with Lisa Rawlinson about tarot card reading, I mentioned how grateful I was to be getting all of these readings that go along with each episode. So when we do an episode where it's just Tiana and I, I obviously don't expect to have that kind of an experience. But surprisingly, I did this time, because as I was editing this episode, while listening back to it, it felt like what we were talking about was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment in my life. This was one of those times that I allowed myself to accept what I was hearing as if it was just for me at this moment when I listened to it. And when I listened to it that way, I was able to take so much more from it. And I think a lot of what happens in our life is that way. It's happening because we choose to go through it. I don't know how that works, but it's a beautiful part of this mystery we call life. In today's episode, Tiana describes her experience of being in a cult, and it's a great story. Let's go to that conversation where I first ask her about it. Explain again where you were in your life, what you were doing, and what it felt like at that point for you in your life. Yeah, so if you remember, I had I was working in the corporate world, and then I had this big spiritual awakening, and then I quit my job, I left Hawaii, and then I moved to um, Boston, and I moved because I wanted something very different, and I wanted to find myself, and I felt like I had to get away from Hawaii to do that, and... So I didn't really have a game plan. Um, I, I actually started working at a cafe for minimum wage. and But really what I was wanting was time freedom. I was wanting all of this time to read these books and do spiritual practices. And so I had that. And it was good the first year and a half. Um, I felt very free. And I was spending all of my time doing different spiritual study and spiritual practices and then I started to feel like, but I'm, I'm here to do much more than work in a cafe. Um, but I didn't know what that was. And I, I knew I, didn't, I wouldn't go back to the corporate world, but I couldn't see forward. Like I felt like, oh, I want to be of service to the world. And I couldn't figure out how that would look. I, I guess I didn't believe in myself or I didn't believe in... The world at that point that at that point I was already trained in Reiki and then um, I went to a school uh, called Delphi in Georgia that was kind of a metaphysical school and I took a bunch of classes there too but I guess I didn't believe um, that I could start up a business and that people would come and I'd be able to support myself doing that so what, are, what types of things were you learning at this school in Georgia Oh, it was really cool. I mean, it's sort of like a Hogwarts. I mean, it doesn't have the look of the Hogwarts, but it mm-hmm. felt like that where yeah. um, uh, they, I was doing, they had different tracks and one was like a healing track. But then I guess, cause I'd already done Reiki, I didn't feel called to learn their specific style of healing. But the metaphysician track, um, there was like you know, learning about your chakras and there was like, color and sound healing course that I talked about when we went. Oh, that's um, right, yeah. And there was um, a type of healing that was inner child healing. 
and there's a masculine and feminine balancing class. There's a lot of really cool things. Nice. Did you move over there for that, or was it just like no, a um, you, you would go over for like a nine or ten day course oh. and then come back to Boston. Okay. And so the first time I went there, the initial course was like, yeah, nine or ten days. And they had told us that our energy was really shifted from the training. So don't be surprised if when you go back, something's going to shift in your life to reflect that. And sure enough, so I'd been working at this cafe for at least a couple of years and feeling kind of stuck there, but not really seeing where I could move forward. And um, and then the day I came back from that training, uh, my bosses told me that they were selling the cafe. And this was a this was a family cafe that had been in their family and there was no talk of that before. So we all had to get new jobs. Um, so boom, there I was, <laughs> my situation. Yeah, that was but, fast. But yeah, because I was in this energy, so everybody else was freaking out, like, oh my gosh, I have to get a new job. But I I felt so calm and I just, um, I didn't go out and look for jobs. And people came into the cafe and I had like three or four job offers. And so one of the job offers was to manage a cafe, <laughs> so um, which was, um, the Boston University bookstore. It was a Barnes and Noble bookstore, but it was the bookstore for Boston University. Okay. And so that was the next thing that I did. And so now I was getting paid more money, but it still, of course, wasn't like I felt like, oh, I'm not, this isn't my service that I've come to do into the world. And I still felt really stuck. And while I was there at the cafe, um, I was periodically going back to the school in Georgia the metaphysical school. So the cafe, it would get really busy because all the students are coming in, getting their caffeine fix. And and, um, and then I managed all of my staff was students. And so um, it could be kind of really hectic and kind of drama and stressful. And it was like going, 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 going. And so I felt like at the end of the day, like, oh, I can't wait to get home and do my spiritual practice because this is just so busy all day. So it felt like my days were spent just to support myself, which is, I guess, what most people feel like. And I was feeling frustrated by that. And I used to come home from work and I would... I, I think, a, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people can relate to that situation, you know, especially, I mean, right now I can, you know, I feel like a lot of my time is spent just trying to do my nine to five and make sure the bills are paid. And yeah, you do look forward to like, Hey, I need to take some time for myself and you know, whatever it might be, meditate or, or whatever. But yeah, I can relate to that for sure. I think a lot of people can. Yeah. Well, I had left a very well-paying job to break free from that. And so, and I had like, and since I'd had this spiritual awakening, I had this deep, strong desire to be of service, I felt like, ah, I know why I'm here on the planet. And so so I felt very frustrated to find myself in it back, not in the same kind of pressures at all. It was definitely a much more enjoyable environment than the corporate environment. Um, and it wasn't like when I would leave the cafe at night that I had cafe manager business that's hanging over my head the way that I would in the corporate world. 
but I still felt like this isn't what I came here to do and I, I, I can't see how to get there. And I'm always the kind of person that like, hey, once I can see how to get there, boom, 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 I'm going to put all my energy to that. And I would look in in like the want ad kind of thing. Like, I don't know what I was looking for. Like I, I kept looking to try to find something to fit myself into that would be this being of service into the world and I couldn't see it. And so I would come home and I would deeply pray. I would ask, I want to be of service to the world, use me. And I guess I felt, you know, this is my own issues, but I felt frustrated like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm not good enough. I guess, you know, God doesn't want to use me. Otherwise there would be a path that would be shown to me and why can't I see it? So I felt very stuck and very frustrated. And then once, um, I was on the lunch, on a lunch break and because it was in the bookstore, I always like to look at all the different spiritual books. And I saw this book work as spiritual practice. And that sort of made that shift for me where I started to understand that, oh, it's not like during your regular day, that's just mundane life. And then you come home and meditate and that spiritual life, I had created that split within myself. And I think a lot of people do that. Yeah, kind of like I was just describing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so work is spiritual practice mentioned how everything your your life is spiritual practice your interaction with your co-workers is spiritual practice um it's always about what awareness you bring you could be a janitor mopping the floors and that can be your spiritual practice um it, it's not in like these containers and this is spiritual work and this is mundane life it's only that we create that separation within ourself yeah that makes a lot of sense too and so i started to to do that i was when i was interacting with my employees or when i was serving coffee to someone i tried to bring that light that love into that interaction and then i'd had some challenges with my boss where i felt like he didn't respect women um and so i would look at that about what am I trying to learn? How have I attracted that? And, and how can I grow? And that was really about um, standing up for myself and being more outspoken and holding that energy. Um, so there was a lot of learning and growing and that's all spiritual practice. And so that that separation started to go away and I started to feel better and not feel stuck. And then my life sort of started to reflect that. So it, this is what I tell people when they come to me as the practitioner and they feel like they want to um, be a service to the world or they want to figure out their life path. If we have that strong desire, we're always on that path. Um, it's not just about your career. Some people think that the career is their life's purpose or path but that's just one piece or possible expression but it might not be the main thing at all so i think that when we have that strong desire um we're guided along but all of our blocks have to come up first before it manifests and so all the things like i said i already had these um skills that I had learned in these classes. I had these tools that I could have offered, but I wasn't ready to offer them. And so that didn't happen. 
yet, but all of the things were coming up for me to clear to get me to that point. So, so anyway, so all, all that time in Boston also, I went to a number of different um, spiritual groups. Uh, I went to a spiritualist church. I went to like a Tibetan meditation group. I went to a number of different groups trying to find my tribe, <laughs> trying to find that fit where I felt like at home, a group of people that are like me because my path was very solitary and and I felt like I needed that sense of community, but I wasn't finding it. Like I was finding very nice people, but um, honestly, like I was in my my twenties and when I would go to these groups, the people there were retired and silver haired and very nice, but we could connect on the spiritual level, but then not on the other level. And I thought, gosh, there have to be people like me, but really all my friends at that point, people my age were into their career and trying to work up that ladder or into partying and having fun. <laughs> and, um, you know, not that I was against those things, but I was really deeply, strongly spiritually focused and I couldn't find other people like me. So there was a sense of isolation that I had. Yeah, I don't imagine even nowadays there are many people who are taking that route. You know, they're, they're like you said, they're either really focused on their careers or they're just having fun. You know, and I just... would disagree. From my practice, I would say that I oh. see a lot more young people coming on and getting interested in these things. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Because <laughs> I haven't asked you that in a long time. And so mm -hmm. that's good to know that that is happening. Then. There okay. are. there. I, I really do believe that there are these souls from other realms that have come in um, to be here during this spiritual shift that we're going through. And, and so a lot of these young people are, you know, open to these things because they're, they're of a, and so are you noticing this happening um, more recently than, than before? When you I would say like in the last five years, I've really noticed okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Now there's, especially, you know, like YouTube didn't exist back then. And there's all these social media and other ways that the information is being shared that is reaching um, young people. And there's a way that people have to connect now that didn't exist when I started on my path. Yeah, that's true. We've talked about that before, and that that probably contributes to this to people um, just opening themselves up to you know alternative ways of living. Really, what I was going to say is earlier you mentioned that I guess you in a way felt like you weren't ready because you had all these internal blocks. You know, when you were figuring out how to um, work as a spirituality, and um, it reminded me of this documentary that I had just watched. And it was about this guy who was, um, he was on The Secret, right? He was one of the keynote speakers on The Secret. Like he was one of these people who was like, had a little um, part in the movie where the, he would say things about abundance and all these, you know, energy and all this stuff. And he, he was, got on Oprah and he had this really. Who was it? His name was. Uh, James Ray, I think was his name. Oh, he had, he's the one that had a big scandal with yes. the, the people that died. In yes. The... So that's what the documentary was about, was about James had, he, he got really into his motivational speaking and he drew in big crowds and they paid big money to see him. Anyway, he 
got to such a place where people just listened to him, whatever he said, like that's what they would do. And uh, the whole point of the movie was that, I don't even know if this was the point of the movie, but this is what I took from it, was that he had gotten himself into a place in his life where people perceived him as something that he really wasn't. And there was this one poignant moment in the whole story where he had a chance to be that person to to be a the bigger person that everyone saw him as but because of his blockages and his insecurities and his own stuff that he hadn't resolved he couldn't do that he wasn't ready for it he wasn't ready to be this bigger person this bigger man and so that's how this tragedy happened anyway but yeah, I mean, it just my point was that we all have these moments in our lives where we know what we need to do, but there's things that we have to work through first. We're always where we need to be. So I, I was, and we always just need to take responsibility for that, that it's um, the universe has everything to offer us and we'll get that when we're ready for it. And so, so yeah, I wasn't. I was I was needing to go through these other lessons first, um, so it really wasn't even a big consider. I didn't really even consider going into business for myself at that point. It didn't even come in as an idea, really, because um, I really wasn't ready for it. And so, I mean, what I do now, like I feel like I have my dream life now, but I had to work through all of these things to get here. And so that's kind of what I tell my clients is that. If you have that strong desire to be of service and to fulfill your soul's purpose, you will. And everything that's showing up in your life right now is getting you there. Yeah. If, and so not to resist it and feel like you're off track, but to face it and work through it. And that's going to continue forward on that path. And so basically then after I stopped having that separation between work and spiritual practice, things... um shifted where my boyfriend at that time that we had been together for about five years um we had planned to move from boston to austin without ever having been to austin we had this plan to move here and then um and then one day he was like no i don't i want to stay in boston and i felt like no there's no way i can stay in boston anymore i need to get out of here and so i mean and then amongst other things like so we so we broke up and then i realized oh i i don't know anyone in austin i don't have any work there like how am i going to move to austin on my own when i don't really have a plan for that so i ended up coming to seattle where my brother and sister-in-law live this is before they had any kits and they said oh you can you know stay in our extra room and then my best friend lives there and she said oh you can work for me as my assistant so i had this okay great i have a place to plug myself into so i moved to seattle and then once i moved there i thought oh i should um, find a place to do yoga because i've been doing yoga all these years and i saw this yoga sign and so this is my introduction to this organization that I would now call a cult. It's so it was a um, Korean yoga organization, and it had a big sign that said yoga. And, and so that's what you went there with the intent of learning yoga or just taking yoga classes. Mm-hmm. Okay. As taking yoga classes, so I went in there, and then they have this kind of sign up um, process. It's called an energy checkup, and you meet one on one with like the headmaster. 
and um, and you just do these different practices and so forth. And so, so that seemed good. So I decided like, oh yeah, I think I want to try this. But they had us like wear these uniforms. They were all white and um, they were like this Korean style, kind of almost like martial arts, but like kind of really baggy. So not like what you normally wear at yoga at all. And everybody's wearing the same like white kind of baggy martial arts uniform, which was kind of weird to me. But the first time I had taken a class, so they they did sort of yoga, but also mixed in with what was called meridian exercises to open the energy channels. So you do partly, you do that. And then there's this um, energy meditation where you put your hands together and you, they dim the lights, close your eyes. And then you know how like you can rub your hands together and if you slowly move them apart, you can start to feel the energy between your hands. And then that with the music, you would just let the energy move and flow. And after you've been doing this yogic type exercises and meridian exercises, the energy is really flowing. And so, and I'm sensitive to energy. So that would feel amazing, this energy meditation, which I'd not done ever anywhere before. And then they have you lay down and meditate some more. And I would feel like so good. And then at the end, they have everybody sit in a circle and they have this most delicious tea and I promise they don't put anything in the tea because later I learned how to make the tea it's there's nothing put in the tea but it was this nice sense of community we'd sit in a circle and um you know because even now I notice I'm still doing yoga here in Austin that you go you show up for the class and then you leave and there's no sense of community whatsoever and um and so here you would go and you'd get to know people and we're all here together and also when you show up the people that work there um, would greet you by name and oh we also had to do a bow we had to bow Mm -hmm. and so there were certain Korean because it originated in Korea there were certain Korean phrases that they would use so it created this environment that's missing in our everyday life especially here in the western part of the world um this sense of community, this greeting, somebody knows your name, yeah. kind of this friendly place that you can come in and feel connected to yourself and feel connected to others. And there was this really incredible energy. I would leave there feeling kind of high, on, honestly. I felt like, felt really high. And um, so I was just like feeling really, really joyful, kind of blissfully joyful. And so, man, I wanted, to, I started just going to the classes every single day. So after the practice was, uh, you would end and you would sit around and drink the tea, then even the instructor and everybody would stick around and talk to each other for a while? Yeah, and I, I can't remember exactly what, but like, you know, the instructor would kind of like, so when we were sitting around in the circle drinking the tea, they might kind of ask us about, you know, how are you doing? Or we contemplate something. So, so it was this really nice. Yeah, because I do feel like, that is kind of missing from Mm -hmm. yoga classes that you take here you just go and it's like you don't even really know anybody yeah you just like go and you might even see the same people over and over but you don't know them exactly Mm -hmm. you don't know anything about them and they don't know anything about you and you just kind of leave and it just feels a little empty that way Mm -hmm. yeah and um also the people that the instructors which they were called masters um 
they were all young. Mm. So this was a thing, you know, because they were all young and vibrant and they were all about, um, yeah, and there was like this vibrancy, this vibrancy that's also missing. Because sometimes you can go to spiritual organizations or groups like I did. Like I said, a lot of times it'll be like older people and it'll be peaceful, but it'll be kind of real low key energy. But this was kind of like this aliveness. So there was this, he'd show up and there was this like brightness and this vitality and this like, there is youth and aliveness and people that were all wanting to create peace and enlightenment in the world. So this is what I'd been looking for, but I had not found before. And so now suddenly I had that sense of like, oh, other people like me that um, want to create some you know a better world and um and then this wonderful energy so all of this is kind of uh really drew me in um knowing now a little bit about cults um that's called love bombing they do this they bomb you with love (laughs) basically right we're missing that like in our everyday we're so like especially in america like we're so separate we're so separate Mm -hmm. and um and so we don't get that and we don't get that love and we don't get that community and we don't get that connection. And here was this like refuge from that where you could go into this space and and feel that. And so that all drew me in. I didn't know that was a thing, love bombing, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, especially for people who are um, not like you, but I mean, I've noticed that and when I watch a lot of these cult documentaries or something that the people that get drawn in a lot of times are people who've had like troubled pasts, you know, and so they don't know what it's like to experience that kind of love, I think, anywhere else in their life. So when they get it, it's like, oh, I, I got to be a part of this, you know? Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, I think cults have a lot in common, but there, I definitely think there are different types so Mm -hmm. this wasn't like a doomsday cult um which wouldn't have drawn me in yeah um i think there were you know there are there were some people that were probably drawn to it because they were troubled or lost but actually a lot of the people were really um high level achievers in society not what you think of typically from a cult and I, i think if i look at Scientology, mm-hmm. which I'm afraid to even say their name, and I really think they're pretty evil. Um, if I look at them, um, I think that they also attract, you know, achiever types. So I think there are different types of yeah, for sure. um, cults. There's yeah. some that just kind of attract people that are wanting to follow and are kind of are really troubled, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in this case, I mean, because I'm still friends, I'm friends with a lot of people that were in the organization at the time. Um, and, and they're all people who do things like what I do. They are all contributing to the society in helping and healing roles in the world. So I think that we were drawn because we have that nature and we want to be of service. And this was like a, a path for that. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know what's about to come in your story, but, I mean, from what I've heard now, it actually seems really great. Yeah, so there's different, so there's different levels of it. So if you're just going and attending the class, the classes, um, it's really not a cult at that level. 
It's it's like going to yeah, you could go to martial arts classes, you could go to yoga classes. And and I think at that level, it's it's not necessarily a destructive force in the world. Um but what they did, what they I don't know what they do. I don't I haven't followed them in the many years since I left. Um but what they would did, which I I realize now is what they did with me is that they look at the people that are coming to the classes. They look for people that would have potential to become what they call a master, somebody who's um, got a lot of kind of bright, like, because of course they train me how to look for people like this in the class too. You look for somebody who has um, this deep uh, desire, again, to help or heal, um, someone who has a, a bright energy, um, something like this, somebody who has potential to be a good, uh, sort of a good soldier in the <laughs> in the organization. Um, so then they asked me if I wanted to um, work there part time. And since I was working as my friend's assistant, you know, doing office stuff, I was like, yeah, sure, I'd love to. I already love coming here. And then they have workshops too. And even the workshops, I think the workshops are pretty helpful. The first few ones that they have you do. So I think there is a certain value that you can get from taking the class, but you you have to know what this organization is really all about. And then I don't think it's really worthwhile for anybody to join. But I did see a lot of, you know, there were a lot of older people that would come to and get a lot of health benefits um, from the kind of exercises and the meditation and then the energy work. And so, so I was seeing a lot of benefits in people and I was feeling really good. And then, um, but they do sort of corner you off and, and, and in a, in a very charming way, but they use energy to sort of get you to sign up for the next thing, the next more expensive thing. (laughs) But because I was getting a lot of value and benefit, like even though I could see that that's what was happening, I felt okay because, because it seemed like it was good stuff. So um so eventually then they offered me to go to um the the teacher the master's training but um so I was getting more involved I was spending more of my free time going and helping out with different things in the region not just at my local center but in Seattle there were a number of centers and and then they would put on events and they would have gatherings um for the for the region or for the district and so, so they were quite big organization then at, already. Yeah, at that point. I think I think now it's a lot smaller. I think because a lot of um, scandals came up later um, after I left. But um, yeah, when I was there, that was when they were just really growing, and that was the thing. They were they had said something I can't remember like a million enlightened people by a certain year or something like this. Like they had all of these. Um, lofty goals of of how they wanted to create enlightenment and it was all through opening more and more of these centers so more people could have access to so it was it was very um there was a lot of passionate energy towards these goals and um and even at that level before i became a master like just 
helping out at the center, working there part time, um, it became clear that each center has a monthly vision. It was, everything was called a vision, which was really a monetary number. Oh. <laughs> it's really a sales goal if yeah. you look at it, but money was really equated as energy. So what's really interesting is that is that the way that this organization, and I'm sure all cults do this, um, the way they mix in truth with their own propaganda and it gets um, confusing because you'll get uh, three truths and one lie <laughs> mixed in yeah. together like that game or whatever. Yeah, of course. I think this has happened. I mean, it's just an old trick. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people have done this throughout the centuries and ages, oh, yeah. you know, even in the law of one, like which we talked about in the last episode, they go into a, a part where they say that um, many, many religious texts have that same issue where a lot of truth is mixed in with some more subversive, you know, type things. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it, it's an old trick. Yeah. And so this idea is that money is just energy. And so the more money someone pays to do the programs, the more energy they're committing to their own spiritual practice and their own enlightenment. And so more money equals more spiritual commitment, more enlightenment, right? And so they, they are slowly kind of putting this idea into your head. And so, um, because I've always been someone, I'm really not materialistic. I'm not motivated by money. And so if they had put it to me that way, just like, just that, oh, it's about this much money and this is what we're focusing on, that wouldn't have meant anything to me. But when I was looking at it as like, oh, this is how, how much we can help people. The more money is like more being of service. And so those ideas started to get you know, introduced to me in all these different ways and kind of filtering in to my consciousness. And um, so I went to this master's training knowing that um, once I became what they called a master, then that was a big commitment to full-time be in this organization and kind of living a new lifestyle. And I was excited about it because I had already been, you know, drawn into this community and felt so connected, and I was ready, wanting the next step. And um, the the regional director, she even sat me down and had this talk about, you know, when you first join the organization, it is kind of like it's like boot camp. You know, it's going to be really hard, and and you just have to remember why you're there and get through it but it's also going to strengthen you and um, all of your ego stuff is going to come up and this is the opportunity to cleanse and detox and clear it so don't follow your ego know that your commitment is to your soul and that this organization is here to help you grow your soul and so when you first it's it's fairly um, by it's by seniority or hierarchical that when you first um, become a master, you're the low person on the uh, totem pole, and so the longer someone's been there, um, the more you know seniority they have, 
And so the people that have low or no seniority are the ones that have to do all the grunt work. You have to, um, so what would happen, I already knew this was gonna happen, that we move in in a communal space that we live together and, and the newest masters are the ones that have to do the most cooking and cleaning and serving the more senior people and also the last one to take a shower at night, the last one to go to bed, the first one to wake up in the morning, the first one uh, that needs to prepare everything. It's very military. It was. It when I look back, you know, because if you if you if you look at me and you know me, you think like that would be the military would be the last thing that Tiana would ever do. Mm-hmm. And um, but I when I look back at it, it really was. It was. It had a lot of those qualities because we didn't get very much. We hardly got any sleep. Like, I mean, I I'd get like maybe five hours of sleep if I'm lucky. I was very sleep deprived, and this is another thing that a lot of cults do. They keep you so busy, and when you're sleep deprived, then your brain you don't have that like resistance. Your resistance worn down, and also you're not sitting there. You don't have the time and energy to like question everything. You're kind of just boom, 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 boom. It was, it felt like it did feel, cause it was all young people like me. And um, it did feel like we were soldiers kind of like we had, like we'd wake up early in the morning and you'd put out flyers for um, the center um, at people's doorsteps early in the morning and then come in for the early morning class and then teaching class and cleaning up the center. We do energy healings. We do these introductory consultations with people. And at the end of the night, say like at 10 o'clock, then we'd have a meeting in the region. So there, it was it was really, uh, no really, really long think. days. Yeah. No, very. I could see how you could get caught up with that, though, being a young person full of energy and just being like, we are on a mission to mm-hmm. make the world better. We're going to do this. And That's just- exactly how it felt. And it felt like and so and just because if you look at the world, people are so engrossed in themselves and so into consumerism and materialism there, there was naturally already becoming a like an us, not us versus them, but an us and them. You just, just in our focus and in our intention, then we are really isolated from the rest of the world that cares about these other things. Yeah, totally. So when you became a master, did they put you some through some kind of training? I'm, I'm assuming you were teaching mm-hmm. the classes too now, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the training, the master's training, and I don't remember it that much. It was it was intense, and everybody knew it was going to be intense, and they sort of gave people different things according to what the high-level trainers could see would be our issue. So one, one girl was kind of vain, and they made her um, – scrub the toilet with a toothbrush um things you know that would like because she was a little prissy or you know so like if if they felt like that was going to be something that would that you normally wouldn't do then that would be the thing that you'd had to do and so for me it was more like i can't remember like more like strength physicality things that like i would get really frustrated with if you know if i had like had to like i don't know do x amount of push-ups or hold the push-up right. stands for you know two hours or there was things like that that we had to do that were really challenging that your brain was like oh god i can't do this and there was so there was something about I could see them enjoying that part of it like oh look at the prissy one we're gonna make her scrub the <laughs> toilet you know? well and, and so there was something 
like I, I did need that in my life because my parents, my parents are wonderful. They're so loving, but they were um, the kind of parents that were very permissive. And so if I said I didn't want to do something when I was young, then then I didn't have to do it. And so I never was really strongly disciplined, um, which I get. It was like very loving of them. But that also meant that I didn't always believe like there's things that I'm naturally good at and I would do those things and then things that I, if I didn't feel I was naturally good I would just avoid mm-hmm. I wouldn't do those things and then in this kind of environment I wasn't allowed to avoid those things and I had to do them and so there was I mean I can see benefits that I got and I, I that's also why even though it was difficult at that time I felt like I need this this is um, forcing me to be disciplined and all my life I've not been disciplined for things that um, that I don't want to do. I could yeah. be disciplined for things that I want to do. And so there was, I, I, I did feel like I was getting um, stronger mentally and, and, and physically um, in a certain way. And the other thing was too, was like this vision. So we'd have at our center, you know, the, the monthly vision of how much we had to make there was something about real like we had to be focused all the time i had never been like 24 7 focused like this in my life you know and um because everything it was about everything is energy and so you always have to be focused on your vision now i look back and i'm like man that was really stressful and and i don't know how people stay in that organization all their life because um yeah, I mean, I, I was really intense. Like, it's it's yeah, pretty it's, serious. I was gonna like, say, yeah, that sounds yeah. like an intense L- like you're, way you're, of living. Yeah, yeah. So you're constantly like, you have like your number for the day of of how how many thousands of dollars we're supposed to bring in that day, and you're just constantly focusing on this number and this number, um, which is you know, which is crazy. It's a crazy yeah. way to live. But um, and I'm not recommending that, but I do see how I learned that. Oh, when I do focus my mind. I can achieve things that I didn't think were possible. And again, like money is never something that I focus in that way. Um, but because um, it was for the organization and because, you know, it was presented to me in this other way, I found, um, oh, that I could be really good at that. That was the thing too, was like I had never been part of such a, one of a community but of a very intentional and focused community and i I saw how when we were all focused together that we could create something big out of nothing so there was a lot of lessons that i was learning yeah even if um you know their ultimate motivation was not the for the highest good of everyone um they did know how to use the techniques of reaching those goals, you know? So it's really interesting because it's kind of like what Luis was saying in the Law of One episode is where, you know, intelligent infinity, you know, is, is for everyone. No matter what your purpose or, you know, um, intention is, you still have access to all that. And so I think it kind of goes with that, you know, that focus. Like, yeah, if we have our minds put on this one thing, even if it's good or bad, we're going to do it because that's just the way humans are. Yeah, and I guess for me, I'd never done that for myself because that had felt selfish, but I found that when I was doing it for a bigger goal than me, that, it yeah, that I could do it, and it was very um, 
powerful and very rewarding. And I think that's an extremely useful um, lesson experience that I had. Yeah, that's great. So at some point you must have worked your way up from like the low level master beyond that. So what happened? Well, so first of all, I was really lucky that, so at that time, um, so as soon as I became a master, it wasn't six months later, I was given the opportunity to run my own center, which at that time I was, that was the shortest amount of time that anybody had ever been offered to go from just a regular master to a headmaster. Um, and so that's what brought me to Texas because I was living in Seattle, but they said, oh, there's this opportunity in Katy, Texas, where you can run your own center. Um, it's a, a very small center, but it was really exciting, the idea of running my own center. This was kind of like, I guess, what I had been wanting or what I was looking for before without realizing, like, oh, now I have an opportunity to help people and to create that within my own space in, in a way that I hadn't thought that I would be able to before now I was being given that opportunity. So that was pretty quick. So you must have been like a stellar student or something. Or I had a, I had a lot of enthusiasm and passion. And um, so... So were other people... Mm. Were, did you just kind of like move ahead of other people? Or what happened with them? Like were there other masters at your level that were trying to work them way up? And then what, what do you know what happened to them? Or Well, I mean, it's not... <laughs> It's not like that. It's there's centers. There were centers all over mm-hmm. the U.S. Okay. It's not like we're all in one center, like oh, combining oh, together. Yeah, yeah, so okay. here I was in Seattle, but okay. this center was in Texas. But the district manager saw some potential in me uh-huh. and offered me that opportunity. So okay. we don't all see what everybody else. So yeah, only yeah. on the higher levels, they kind of okay. are aware of what everybody else is doing. Yeah, so. I see. Okay. So then they put you at your own center, and that must have made you feel pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was really scared at first um, because the person I was uh, replacing, he was a longtime master. And he was, um, again, this is from, uh, it's a Korean organization. So he was from Korea. Like a lot of the, the masters were from Korea. And so I was part of this new breed of young western masters and so actually it was a little bit um intimidating because most of the students are called members most of the members were women that had really liked having this you know there's something about you're doing this korean practice and then there's a person from korea teaching you and so they had this like male Korean master who'd been doing it a long time. And now they have some young American <laughs> new master. There's resistance to that. And I had to, to, I had to win them over in yeah, my own say, way. You had right? to overcome that, yeah. uh, that bias. Also yeah. because my energy, my style of teaching the class um, was very energetic. And that's how I am. And he was really low key. So some people didn't like my style at first. But then, you know, you win over some of those people or you start to attract the people that are similar to your energy. You know, honestly, the three and a half years that I was in the organization, there was a lot of challenges and you can't run from anything. It's all 
even I see this now in my own business. I'm a one person business. Like um, there's no one else you can blame. If things go well, it's your energy. If things go bad, it's your energy. But this was like a big fishbowl because um, the higher up above you, they're really tuned into energy so they can see what's going on inside of you, even though you're smiling and oh, yeah, it's good. They're like, no, Tim, really, what's going on? And they can see, you know, so you, you felt like, oh, it's everything's transparent, like all not with the members. They couldn't see you that same way, but all of the masters can see you. And so there's no hiding because you're in this pressure cooker. So all of your stuff is coming up and there's no hiding it. And because everything this is something that they talked about a lot about everything being energy. And so um, you have your number, your vision that you're supposed to meet every single day. And they had this intraweb where, and we're constantly on it. Just think of like the way you're constantly on Facebook or something. So their intraweb um, had us all ranked. (laughs) It would show you in your picture and your center and what your goal is supposed to be and where you're at with it. And then it would rank you. And so you against other people yes, it within was, the organization. Yes, it was very competitive. And this is what like inside my heart, I knew that like that doesn't make sense to me. Like it's that's very egoic. Com- yeah. Competition is ego. And so that part always bothered me. And yet all the other stuff was so good that like I weighed out the, you know, like, oh, how else am I going to be able to help people in this way there there's no other this is what i've been wanting to do ever since i've had this spiritual awakening is be able to reach many people and help them you know body mind emotion spirit and and i have this amazing opportunity that doesn't usually be given to someone my age and my experience level um but yeah i really i really didn't like that part it was a lot of pressure it was a lot of stress and so the other masters could see, and if your number wasn't very good, then people say, oh, your energy is not very good. And people would treat, it was like you could be a pariah if you're, nobody wants, it's like it's contagious. Nobody wants to be around someone whose energy is low or not good. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was pretty like a crazy. a popularity contest in high school or something like, oh, I can't be seen with this person because they're not doing well on the energy chart or whatever it is. Yeah, it wasn't about like being seen, but yeah. just being around that energy. They were like, oh, I don't want to be around that energy. That's not good that might, energy. That might take my ranking down if I absorb some of that energy uh-huh. or something, right? Wow, that's yeah. pretty weird. So they had an internal website where only you guys could get in. And when you got in, you could see where you were positioned in relation to other people. Yes. No matter like if your center is experiencing some other challenges that theirs might not be, that's not really accounted Mm -mm. for at all. It's just kind of like you're just thrown in there. No, you just see it was very competitive. Wow. And, And that's the thing, too. You know, a lot of times you hear this about cults is that they're organized around a charismatic leader. Um. In this organization, like I wasn't introduced that much to the leader initially. It really was more about the people at the center, the masters at the center. They entice you. They draw you in with their really good energy. And you're just in. So the, the leader is Korean from Korea, didn't speak any English. Probably now after all these years, he does. But back then he didn't speak any English. Um, so there'd have to be a translator. 
So there was a lot of kind of like that not sense of connecting with him. But um, I, I only I saw him once um, when he came to Seattle before I became a master. And then like once or twice a year because the American headquarters is in Sedona. Um, so we'd meet like once or twice a year there. Um, so you didn't you you weren't introduced to him all that much. So even though like once you became a master, they have his picture that they pull out and we do like bows in front and they'd pray and they'd say he's our spiritual teacher. I don't know. I never felt like a strong connection to him the way that others did because I think my experience is different because I had already been on a spiritual path. I already had a connection to my own higher self. And so other friends of mine that didn't have that got that from the organization. So that made it harder for them to leave later because they felt like their spirituality came from the group and that the leader was their guru or something. But I was always kind of just like in my head, I just, I don't know. I didn't, honestly, I didn't vibe. I didn't like his energy. I felt because it was he was very boastful and that felt not spiritual to me at all. And then I remember he drove like a big yellow Hummer and that really turned me off. I was thinking like, oh, how, you know, they weren't that much into environmentalism, even though we were talking about creating peace on the earth. So it didn't, yeah, there were just things that like, I didn't like the way that he always seemed to brag and, um, (laughs) And then everybody, like we, when we would meet, um, he had to be sitting up higher than everybody and we'd all have to be low and we'd all have to bow. And so, but then I kept, I just kept telling myself, oh, you know, he's not part of your everyday life. Just play along like everybody else. And, and then you get to go back to your center and you get to run it the way that you want. And so I did, I just played along. And I know that my higher ups knew that my heart didn't, feel the same way about him the way that others did that I, because my face shows you everything right <laughs> you, yeah. you know like um so you, so you can tell if i'm not like really into something it's pretty obvious but they didn't care because i was a good performer as far as um bringing in the money oh, okay. and so um you know if you if you can make the vision and if you're doing well and so forth then they pretend like they don't see that so you're at this point because starting to become there's the, the cracks are forming so you're seeing this person who's in charge and you're seeing these things about him that you're not really in alignment with and then also the competition aspect of the different centers and so you're becoming a little bit more disillusioned at this point and i was gonna say you know if it were me in your shoes and i had seen someone pull up in a, a giant yellow hummer it would be like to me i wouldn't say to myself Oh, this is a conscious person. You know, even if I saw one right now drive by, I would I would not say to myself, that seems like a very conscious person driving that giant yellow Hummer that, you know, takes up all these resources and gas and everything. But, you know, that's just that's a personal perception. Right. Um so it that, it doesn't mean anything really in the end. But um Yeah, what kind of car you drive isn't is, No. So then absolutely so not. so you so you'd have those kinds of thoughts come up and then you'd have the other part because you're constantly watching your thoughts that says, oh, 
that's really judgmental of you, Tiana. Like, it's not about what vehicle someone drives. Yeah, and that's true. So, so those kinds of opposing ideas would an idea would come up, and then I'd like, oh, well, maybe that's my perception. Um, again, it, it, there wasn't anything particularly harmful; just things that I found distasteful. And mm. so, again, in, in weighing it all out, there was like so much good that was being provided in the opportunity I felt like I was challenging myself and pushing myself. Um, I was helping so many people. And so, so yeah, I just didn't really like pay much attention to the, um, the leader because he wasn't a part of my every single day life. Whereas, especially the, the ones from Korea, um, have you ever seen like a documentary and there's not very many, um, that are filmed in North Korea, but like that it's in North Korea, you know, in North Korea, they believe that their uh, political leader is their spiritual leader. And you'll see that some of these people are are on the floor crying and when they see him and so forth. And I'm sure some of them are staging that and playing along because they have to, right? Um, but I also found that, oh no, actually a lot of people really do believe that because they were they've been ingrained with that idea since they were born that this is our spiritual leader um, and he's enlightened and he's leading our country and i noticed when i watched one of those um documentaries about north korea i was like wow this somewhat reminds me of being in this <laughs> korean is a south korean but um organization because people would do that when we would go to this yearly meeting some especially the the ones that were from korea they would cry and they would you know he would have given us this vision and if they didn't meet their vision they would be so sorry that they had you know that he's trying to to do all of these great things and we're not doing a good enough job and inside like i would get pissed off or annoyed because he kept making it bigger and bigger every year like ridiculous so like we were already busting our butts like mm -hmm. to try to meet this vision and then he would buy this like millions of dollars he bought all of this land in canada one year he bought this expensive you know millions of dollar house in sedona that he said is for uh, all of us but of course you know he's living in it <laughs> so all of these things i saw through it and i thought like oh that's just you know he keeps saying that this is for all of us but when do we ever go there those are his things and we're we're the soldiers that are have to work harder for it so i'm not gonna lay down and cry but i still have to pretend you know so so those things bothered me but again in the the bigger scheme of like oh how else could I help so many people? I, I couldn't see a better option. Yeah, I could see how there would be a lot of internal tension there because you are seeing the benefits of it too at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. But then you're also seeing a little bit of corruption at the top. And that's the thing too, is that on the lower levels, you know, the ones, the headmasters that would run the center and then the masters that would work under them, they're really good people, really genuine. You know, they were like, me they really wanted to help people and they had like and and you can feel it and that's the thing like you know because i am sensitive and so if, if if at that level the people that i had to interact with on a regular daily basis the other masters that we constantly meet with if they were having you know bad intentions then that, then i would have left now 
That being said, there were a few not good ones in there. And and that's where I started to really question because, again, if they were good performers, if they brought in a lot of money, even though they were doing not good things, it would be, you know, overlooked. Mm. Especially the the regional director, the one that had given me the talk about um, the first two years when you're in the organization, your ego is going to come up. And so don't don't run and you know don't make any decisions to leave at that point because all of your stuff's coming up. She she was like a uh she could flip and she had a really big temper. It was never directed at me. But um you'd hear stories about her throwing things when she was angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was thinking of like Naomi Campbell, like you hear her, you know, yeah. she, like like that, like with her assistant. She would like and in fact there was an assistant and um one time and she had a black eye. And then the story oh, but you didn't hear it directly, but then the story was that this higher up woman had thrown something and it hit her. And so then and then she was like you didn't see her at the center for a while, and then she came back. I guess when her eye was fully healed. Oh, that's and, that's abusive. That's pretty yeah. Bad. yeah. And there was a, a like the man right underneath her. He would like in a because we would live in these shared house. We lived in like it'd be like a nice um, what do you call it like multifamily home or whatever. But still, you'd have this big bedroom, and and it'd be of course segregated by gender. But you might have um four or even five women all in one bedroom but not on beds we'd sleep just kind of like on mats on the floor because um you might get shuffled around from center to center so you never like made roots or made somewhere really your home um but yeah this higher up male master um like my friends like he he came in like when she was showering on time or he, he would make comp like there was like some not good mm. yeah. sexual energy there. And he, he he like tried to kiss me one time and he was like my higher up and like he wouldn't let me like escape from him. And there was just there was just like some not good things that were happening there. And you had to know that other people because there would be talk about it, but but kind of hush hush. So there were things like that that started to really feel not right like people would always act like oh the leader he's perfect and pure but all of us it's we're just the ones that are not perfect like him but then i would go back to that principle of like if my center's energy is my energy then all of our energy is his energy yeah that's true yeah so anyway it was like really, uh, really intense uh, few years of my life. So uh, you must have made some friends in there. And do you keep in touch with those people? I mean, so they really, they really don't kind of want you to make, well, so you get, you of course get sort of slowly cut off from outside, right? Like I said, it's very insular. It's not like some cults where, um, no one's like trapping like that's that's why I didn't feel like I was in a cult because it wasn't like somebody was going to come out and hunt me down or you didn't feel like you weren't locked in anywhere but there was just like this kind of subtle pressure like I could remember when I was first when I first became a master and I was still in Seattle and um, I was teaching the class and there was this one guy that um, 
that obviously really liked me and I and I liked him too. He was a member and um and then he came and he was gonna ask me out and then like the headmaster came and had a talk with me and like really told me like that, you know, we there's no we have to stay focused on the vision. There's no time or energy. And so so oh, then wow. I tried to like I when he started to make the conversation, I, I cut him off so that he couldn't ask me out really. I kept like diverting and like it was just things like that. Like even somebody like that, even though he was in the same organization, um, not allowed really to date. And when you're a reg when you're not a headmaster, or even when you're a headmaster to a certain extent, like people are pretty aware of your business because you're constantly meeting or you live in a group house together. So there really isn't any time and space for outside things. Oh, okay. And then and inside, would... you know, in your center, you see, like a lot of times I ended up, um, because we, they kept building more centers, I ended up working by myself a, a lot at the centers. Um, but like maybe if, if, you know, running a center by myself, but... Um, Maybe you'd become friends with if if there's other masters at work at your center or in your district. But the other ones you'd only see like once or twice a year. But actually, I, I am friends with a number of people that were in the organization. But our friendship really happened after we left. Like I knew who they were because we because everybody knows who everybody is because you see them on this ranking all the time and you see them once a year. You know if they're doing well or if they're not. Um, but you know, after leaving, then we connected and kind of talked about our experiences after. And so, um, became friends with a number of people after we left. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. so good things came from it. I mean, more than just that, but um. for me, yeah, I'm, I'm really not scarred by it the way that other people are. And like I said, I think it really depends because of those people that I became friends with afterward, um, some of them came into the organization not being connected to their own spirituality. And so that was very betraying and traumatizing to feel like their spiritual teacher or their spiritual leader to find out. Um, there was, so there was a number of scandals with him. Um, I didn't really know about any of those. I left right before all of that was really coming out in the public eye, like there was a number of articles written in papers and things like this about these scandals, um, sexual scandals of, of the leader. And then just other people, there was like a big lawsuit that uh, they, they asked me at that point, this lawsuit started after I left, if I wanted to join in and I just felt into it. And I felt like that wasn't the right thing for me because that would just get me sucked back into that and it wasn't about that for me so I didn't join in to the organization and it did take I think like a couple years for that lawsuit to to finish and unfortunately the people that put uh that tried to sue the organization lost so it was like a losing battle Mm -hmm. but um but I do think that after all of that happened the organization um diminished a lot because it was more in the public they couldn't hide it so much all of these cracks because not just about the leader of the organization and his improprieties but also just the the high pressure tactics that are used to get people to join the memberships and so people started turning away from that 
yeah, they start to catch on like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, something's yeah. not right here. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's an interesting story. So what can you tell us about when you actually decided to leave and how that went? Yeah. Um, so, so I, I kept checking, you know, so this whole time I, I had my own spiritual connection. They didn't want us to read any other books besides, and I really didn't like his books. I, I didn't find them particularly, um, deep and enlightening, but they, they sort of just, they discouraged us from getting any outside sources of material, but I still secretly read them. You know, I would read other spiritual books and, you know, I'd so, already been doing channeling. Um, I'm going to interrupt uh-huh. you just for a second. So, okay. Cause I just want to say this real quick and, and it's just a, something I noticed is that, you know, we talked to Michael in the first episode of this season and he had been through a similar experience as you. He was involved in a cult. And there's so many similarities between what I read in his book and what you're saying right now because they did the exact same thing to him. They wouldn't let him read any like outside books. Like he was forbidden from doing that. And the other thing is he never really made friends inside the cult either because they were like actively involved in keeping you from doing things like that. So it's real similar to what he experienced and what you experienced. So it's kind of funny that oh, way. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, I mean, it's written all these tactics that's, um, that are used. Um, yeah, but, so, so but, back to what you were saying. You were, so their tactics were the same, but my experience is very different from Michael's experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Like totally. I felt very, like I left and I, I didn't feel disempowered and I didn't feel the need to run. I didn't, I, I wasn't afraid. Um so you were reading these books and they were without well, their knowledge and yeah and so, i mean so i was running my own center and so nobody was watching over me you know during the day and um and i was making my numbers and doing well and so no one cares then i was starting to feel more and more uncomfortable <laughs> they they started having um you know because before i said that there wasn't so much connection with the teacher but then they started having his um his lectures that we all had to to listen to these regularly streamed online there was this (laughs) i even laugh now even i i thought it was the most ridiculous thing and i still think it's the most ridiculous thing there is this thing that he so he would come up with these just ridiculous things and i'm like seriously we have to do this but you have to pretend like oh yeah this is the most amazing thing and so this would annoy me and so (laughs) he had this thing where we all had to um learn how to walk on our hands otherwise we're not considered human and it was it was just so ridiculous to me like i was just like and everybody all you know and everybody would all be on board and and yeah i just look and i was like are they really are they just playing along like i have to play along or do they really believe this like why would walking on our hands or not walking on our hands make us human? And I was having a really hard time. I couldn't walk on my hands. And so, and then it was like such a competitive thing where we'd, whenever we'd get together in our district, we all had to like, and it, and it just, it all felt really wrong. Like, why is this what this is about? The spiritual organization and suddenly like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough if I can't walk on my hands. It's pretty ridiculous. It's kind right? of silly. I'm trying to picture it in my I mind. Know. It's pretty funny. That's I know. It's so funny because it's so ludicrous. And yeah. that's what I that's the whole time what I kept thinking. Like, doesn't everybody else think this is ludicrous? I mean, 
seriously. I just, I couldn't get it. And so this was grating on my nerves. And so because we were having to meet to watch these streaming um, lectures together and then the other masters, they were all crying because they didn't, you know, and it just, it all started to just seem just ridiculous. Just, this is too much. If you would just leave me at my own center and I can run it the way I want, then fine. And I'm helping people. But now we were like constantly being inundated with this ridiculousness. And so it's, it started to feel like not right. But then I kept, so throughout this time, I, I would channel every now and then. And, and you would think that like my guide would be like, yeah, what the hell are you doing in this cult to get yourself out? But actually, I mean, I really do think that I needed to have those lessons and that I grew a lot. And so I didn't, and, and anyway, that's not the way that my guide ever has worked with me. It's always, um, it's never telling me what to, it's never been about telling me what to do, but just bringing up things for me to consider. So he would have me check in with, you know, is it, am I at different points? Am I wanting to leave because I'm running out of fear? Or am I wanting to leave because I'm, you know, is it, are you running away or are you moving towards what you want? And so I kept looking at that. Am I not wanting to face something and that's why I'm running away? Or is this just really not the right fit? And so it started to move initially where, yeah, a lot of stuff was coming up that was my own stuff that was uncomfortable and there was a desire to flee, but I stayed so that I would face those things. But finally, it was moving into like, no, this is not the highest and best way for me to serve. And I started to really look at, I run this whole center by myself. I do my own marketing and advertising. I do my own accounting. I do my own administrative stuff. I do the energy um, healings. I teach the classes. I make the sales. I could just do this on my own in the way that feels in integrity with who I am. So remember, like I said, back when I lived in Boston, I didn't know that I could do all of this on my own. And so going through this and doing it for this organization, one day I came to the realization like, oh, I could run my own business the way that would be honorable, that would feel good to me. One morning I just woke up and this is the day, that's what I felt. This is the day that I'm going to tell them I'm going to leave. And I felt so calm. I felt so good. There was no questioning in my mind. It felt just clear, clear as a bell. And in fact, my higher up, she was wanting to meet with me to talk about, you know, me potentially being a manager of the district. And instead it came to this talk where I said, um, I'm leaving. And basically I told her, and I'd never said this out loud. I was like, I really don't believe in this leader. I don't think he's a good person and such and such. And I gave all of these reasons and there was really nothing she could say back versus other friends that I later found out that, that left, you know, so some of the friends like that we'd been, we'd done the master training together. So that had bonded us, but then they send us all across the US so that we're not in the same centers together. But then a lot of us left around the same time unbeknownst to each other until later we found out. But some of my other friends got a lot of pressure because most people when they leave, they're kind of like half half. They're kind of 
wishy-washy. Um, but I wasn't. I was very clear, very strong-minded. Oh, other people leave when they're not doing well, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and so then every all the other masters go, oh, Tim can't ha- hack it. That's yeah. why Tim left, you know? Yeah. And so here was this weird situation where I was doing really well, but I was leaving. And I think that's the way to leave anything. You know, you leave when you're at the top. You don't leave when it dropped down. So there wasn't really, so it was this really weird situation. So I, as far as I know, I have none of my other friends that left had this. They threw like a going away party for me, which was like, <laughs> nobody else had that. Like they threw a going away party for me. And But I think a number of them really thought that I would be back, that I would go into the outside world and realize like, oh, you know, everybody else is just, sucked into this materialistic consumeristic society and if you really want to make a change and be part of something positive in the world you're going to want to come back to this organization um but that of course that didn't happen i found like no i can i can create my own community i can create my own way and be of service and i don't need this organization to do it but i had to i had to go i had to get there through working through all of this yeah, you had to go through it all. And now you're here because of that, really. Yeah, I really wanted to tell this story just because um, for, for so many years, I would never tell anybody that I was in a cult because there are so many automatic stereotypes. Oh, well, you must be dumb. You must be gullible. Oh, you must be have been troubled. Um, uh, you must be naive. But it wasn't all of that. And and kind of like, not exactly, but um, just like all of these years, I, many years, I didn't outwardly tell people I was raped. Those are things like you have this shame. There's a stigma attached to these things. And then this Me Too movement came in and, and women are able to kind of talk about this now. And not just women. Women aren't the only ones. Just anyone who's been a victim of sexual abuse. And in the same way, I think this cult thing should be the same way where we we don't need to be ashamed anymore everything whatever your deep dark secrets are and you know even though you said like oh those are the same tactics that the cult that mike was in did but actually a lot of these tactics are used in regular religion (laughs) you know like there's a fine line between religion and cult Mm -hmm. depending on the cult yeah some cults are these like doomsday and all of these things where they do crazy stuff but there i mean what's the difference between some cults and and some religions maybe just the hundreds of years that people have been in this one religion versus the shorter period of time that this cult has existed but there are all these kinds of um, ways that organizations or society uh, pressure us and and put certain limiting ideas and beliefs to control us. And so ultimately, we're all just on this journey of becoming empowered within ourselves and beginning to discern what's right for us in any moment. And I look back at my whole life's journey and I, I can see how I've grown through all of it and even you know again some of the most difficult things were some of the biggest growth and lessons well thank you for telling your story and you know being so brave to come out with all that because 
I, I think it's really important for people to hear stories like this because like you said, it's not just cults or what we call cults or we all use things to control each other, you know. In the end, you know, everyone goes through their journey for a reason and we end up where we're supposed to. But it's something that needs to be said. Like you said, it's you're bringing it, this into the light. And a lot of people are coming out with their stories like this. And I'm just really proud of everyone for doing that. I think we're moving forward as people. Yeah, it's very freeing. So I encourage people to talk about those dark moments in, in your life because it does free you. And shame is like one of the worst debilitating emotions to have. And what you'll find when you talk about it is that, I mean... Again, you have to discern who to talk about it to or when you're ready to talk about it. But in doing so, like I said, it can be very empowering and very freeing to to stop worrying about how people judge you and just to own your experience and look at you know what the lessons are and how you grew from it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you to Casey Henson for creating the music. And I'd also like to say thank you to Tiana Roser for all the work she does to keep this podcast going. For more information about us or to access past episodes, please visit our website, beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And you can find us on social media as well. Take care.